Welcome to the MediaCasters with your business besties, Karina Belizzi and Julie Loken. In every episode, you'll get behind-the-scenes access to experts who share their struggles and successes in podcasting, publishing, and presenting. So grab a pen, grab your bestie, and kick it with Karina and Jules. Uh, This is probably our favorite recording ever, right, Karina? It has to be. Because we are together. That's right. Business besties, there's Karina Belizzi, Julie Logan, and... Mickey Pascarella. That's right. <laughs> I, <clears throat> well, one of my favorite authors. How's that? Yeah, she's amazing. Nikki is a published author. She's going on her one, two, three, fourth, fifth. This is going to be your fifth book published, traditional publishing all the way. And you're the one that really taught me all about publishing. And not only is she Nikki Pascarella, she is our editor-in-chief of the Media Casters Publishing House, which is an arm of the Media Casters because the media isn't just all about podcasting, even, even though Karina and I, that's what we think, but it's not yeah. just about podcasting. Yep. And she's even helping us finalize and get complete our book, The Audio Casters, just in time for PodFest at the end of the month. So this is like- a- By the skin <laughs> of our teeth. Oh my God. Exactly. By the skin of our teeth, just to get you know the, the Kindle version and possibly a few print versions in hand just in time for that show. So thank you, Nikki, for all of your hard work. It's incredible. Oh, it's great. I'm having a great time. It's my Are dream you? to do this kind of stuff. Oh, oh, yeah. It's my dream to do this kind of stuff. <laughs> So the big news is that Nikki has a book that is launching May 16th, Troubles in Belmont. Tell us about that. Tell us about Wild Rose because Karina and I love ourselves some Wild Rose. We love Rhonda Penders. She literally was, has been our number one ranked podcast episode, I think. I think it's because we had so much darn fun on that show. And she swore. (laughs) She said a lot of bad words. So feel free to swear all you want. Well, Maybe that's I, why we marked it explicit. I think yeah, that might be why. I, yeah. yeah, I oh really, I absolutely love Ron Penders and RJ. Um, mm-hmm. so they are in the ladies in charge of the Wild Rose Press, which is an amazing um publisher. It's um an independent publisher, but it's a huge independent publisher. They have thousands of titles. And I think for my estimate, it looks to me like they might put out almost a book a day. They have 30, over 30 editors. I've made some wonderful friends with the other authors and um, we call ourselves roses in the garden. And uh, so Aranda and RJ have their editors look for, go out and look for writers um, and kind of go through the, the pile of all the manuscripts and all the queries that they get. And they look for um, authors with potential. And when I started my query, Um, process and looking into traditional publishing because they do um, traditional publishing. Um, And I knew that's what I wanted. I knew I wanted a traditional publisher. I knew I wanted to have editors that were going through my manuscript, even if it meant that I was rejected or even if it meant that it was taking a a little bit longer than self-publishing and nothing against self-publishing. It is awesome to be able to self-publish, but I wanted a company behind me. I wanted a publisher behind me. I wanted editors and I wanted them to 
to tell me if my work wasn't ready, I wanted them to reject it. So I only wanted to put my stuff out there when it was absolutely ready. So Wild Rose, I think the wonderful thing about it is Rhonda has her editors. She says, go out there and find writers, go out there and find people with potential. So her editors go out there and they read through the piles and, um, my editor, the woman who took a chance on me is named Claudia Fallon. I absolutely love her, but she picked my Belmont out of the pile. And here I am today. I now have um, three books with contracted with the Wild Rose Press, and I have a couple more submitted that I'm waiting to hear from. Fingers crossed. So as you architected these stories, you really put this incredible doctor in the center of it, Miranda Albright. I want to know how you work to create this character and how much of her is rooted in, I don't know, self-perception, let's just say. Oh, Dr. Miranda Albright is a very young college professor. She is in her mid-20s and she is already a doctor. And that sounds impossible. You'd think that wouldn't happen. But my best friend from high school happened to have earned her PhD and been a, a doctor by the time she was in her mid-20s. So Miranda's brilliant, but she's socially inept. So she and um, I love her and how much of her is me. I don't think that there's very much of me and Miranda because um, I'm not a college professor, <laughs> although I am a high school teacher. So I do know what it was like to be young and to be to go out there and be in front of students at a young age. Um, the one thing that I about Belmont is that I made up this fictional town called Belmont, but I based this town on uh, Western Pennsylvania. Um, there's three towns in Western Pennsylvania. There's like a triangle, uh, Dubois, Clearfield, and Punxsutawney. And there's these, these three towns where my family is from. And when I was in my early 20s, I got to go up and live in that area right after college. And I had all these cousins and aunts and uncles up there and I lived with them and I just loved the community. I loved um, moving in there and hanging out with my cousins, my male cousins. And they used to tease me and call me fresh meat. <laughs> so that part of Miranda is true. Like I moved to this town and all their friends were like, oh, and the new girl in town, she's fresh meat. So Miranda kind of goes into this little town and she's super nerdy. And everybody calls her the fresh meat. So there's lots of handsome men in the story um, that she, and she does have one true love. I don't tell anyone who that is, but there is one person that she does end up with in the end of the series. But the, right for right now, there's all these really handsome men. And she's these two best friends who are hysterical, Keisha and Winona. And uh, Keisha and Winona are, are just a lot of fun. I like to think kind of as Miranda, like compare almost to like a Stephanie Plum character where she's kind of out there doing these, solving these murders. And, um, but her best friends are a little inept that are helping her. <laughs> just like us. Oh, and Miranda. Just like us, Karina. Yeah. A little inept. <laughs> and Miranda does have psychic powers. I'm not all my books. Um, you know, I have a lot of, you know, I'm working on a lot of books. I think by next year, by this time, I might have eight published. I'm wow. not sure. I'm thinking that's what I'm looking at. And not all my stories have that supernatural fantasy element. But this one, um, I do happen to have a psychic detective. There's a lot of romance going on in your books. And yes, I mean, okay. So a little backstory. I met Nikki several years ago and I'm not at liberty to share the information because I am bound by confidentiality agreements. <laughs> <laughs> I was a mess when Julie met me. That's what she, she doesn't want to say that, but I was a mess. <laughs> 
she was a beautiful mess and literally, you know, going through what she's going through, just the seasons of life. And I just asked her, Nikki, have you ever written before? Maybe you should write a blog. And that was the onus for this whole like snowball effect of her not only publishing book after book after book after book, but just almost really becoming obsessed with writing. And I've seen you through the whole experience of thinking about the book, writing the book, and then the queries and like the nail biting and 99 rejections and waiting for that one that said mm-hmm. that one yes. And you got the one yes. Mm-hmm. And I think you were about ready to pull your hair out. Yeah. So, um, like I said, I really wanted to go the traditional route. And so, you know, anyone who's listening, I'm, I'm sure you understand, maybe you don't understand, but, um, there's, you know, you can choose to self-publish or you can choose to go, I would publish or traditional publish when you traditional publish. It means that the publisher actually buys your story and then they pay for the editing, they pay for the cover design. So they have a ton invested in it. And that is really what I wanted, because like I said, I wanted the, I wanted someone to believe in me. I wanted to know that my stuff was ready. And when you're traditionally published that normally, yeah. And Julie always has believed in me, always believed in me. But, um, so I did decide and the traditional query process is brutal. Um, And so Julie asked me to talk a little bit about that today because it was a brutal process and it was something I put my stuff out there. And um, I- And that's after you write the book, you're done with the manuscript and you're ready and you can have an agent or you can do it yourself. Right. So with traditional publishing, there's a difference between nonfiction and fiction. And so although I do have one um, nonfiction book out that I've written with Julie about writing mostly and I do edit nonfiction. um, Yeah, I have my copy, too. Even though I do have my nonfiction title out and I actually prefer to edit nonfiction. I really don't love editing other people's fiction. I love writing fiction. That's what my passion is. Um, and so the process is really different. So, you know, if I talk specifically about querying fiction, um, you do have to have your manuscript completely finished. And one of the mistakes that I made is that I finished my manuscript, my troubles in Belmont, and I was so proud of it. I was like, this is great. And I didn't sit on it. And I had read so many authors say, don't put your stuff out right away, sit on it for a month or two, put it back, and then get it back out and read it again. And I didn't do that. Is that because you take it less personally? Is that why? Well, what you do is it is when you put it away for a month or two and you get it back out, you see errors in it. You see the places where you um, maybe made a mistake in your plot. You see character development that you might have messed up. Messed up. Um, one of the big things is trying to write an active voice. Uh, it's a huge thing, you know, when you're writing fiction. Um, and it's one of the main reasons that um, agents turn books down. So I have a I have a question, though, that it comes right to the same. It's the same point, basically, because I think. There's there's some psychological things that happen when you when you let a piece that you've worked on rest, and mm-hmm. I think this is something that applies to artists when they're painting, where they feel like oh it's not quite done it's not quite done it's not quite done I'm just going to keep whittling at it whittling at it whittling at it whittling at it and not necessarily always improving it. Mm-hmm. So what I've found when I'm in that uber creative space is like I need to get it out, then I need to take a step away 
and then I can come back and edit it. And then I need to take a step away and then I can mm -hmm. come back and edit it. And yeah. this is in the world of creating a podcast. It's in the world of creating a piece of art. It's in the world of creating a blog or, or writing like deeply into a particular topic. I mean, I've found this to be the case in my entire life. Like every time I, I wrote a research paper, it was the same thing. It's like, okay, get it out and I have to take a step away and then I can come back and edit it. So is it that same sort of thing where you're able to get a little bit of emotional distance from it too? I, I would say so. Yeah. I think that's also a part of it. Um, so I think it all goes together. And I, I think Stephen King one time was said, you know, you should put manuscripts away for months and everybody laughed. They're like, of course, Stephen King can put his manuscripts away for months. But I really do think it's it's really an important thing to do. And, and that, I wrote um, what I think is my very best writing ever is a, a manuscript called In Love With My Gin, which nobody has read yet. And I, it's a romantic comedy. And I really kind of think it's my my book. You In know? Love With Gin. In love so with that, my gin. Oh, so like and a it's gin a and genie. No, like her no, genie. Like a genie. See, I don't know that word. So yeah. But, okay, that's so interesting. A male genie. Yeah. Oh, I like and that. I put it away for two months because I was like, oh my gosh, this is so good. And I'm like, you need to put it away and make sure it's really that good. And so I put it away and I got it out today and I read the first 25 pages of it and I was laughing so hard. I was crying. So I am getting out a manuscript now that I made myself put away for two months um, and taking a look at it. So, so I, I say to writers, that was one of my early mistakes. So when you think you have that fiction piece and you think it's really, really perfect and you've edited it and you've ed and edited it, I know there's this fallacy out there. Oh, your editor edits it. Don't worry about editing. Oh no, you have to edit it to the point you think it's perfect because agents and editors are going to reject it immediately if they don't, if it needs a lot of work. So don't rely on, on an editor to do that. You really need to do that yourself. And you really need to study editing and you really need to study your voice and your active um, voice. And um, and what is active voice? Remind us remedial third graders here. <laughs> so active voice is um, you don't want, you want the action to be ha the thing that's, that you're talking about them to be doing the action. You don't want the action being done to them. Is it getting back to the adage of show, don't tell? Yes, exactly. Okay. Yeah, because and I mean, you, it's the same thing with screenwriting. They'll say, yes. show me, don't tell me. Enough exactly. with the narration. Narration yes. is the laziest form of storytelling. You mm -hmm. need to show, not tell. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. And so that's the biggest mistake. One of the biggest mistakes of new writers. So when you put, that's another thing. If you put your manuscript away, it's easier to catch those things. And they're really things you want to study in your craft before you start putting your work out there. And you do have to be super tough because you do get rejections. Um, and I, how many rejections I, did you get? Like, really, to remember the exact number? It was a lot. I don't know, but the thing that happened to me that was really kind of heartbreaking was when you're going through this process. So the first thing you do is you put your query letters out there, and you want to research agents and editors. So you and have what is the a query ability, letter. Sorry, I'm a just... query letter is a one-page letter introducing yourself, telling about yourself, um, and there are examples online. You can look up query letter examples. Julie and I have some examples in our bookcaster book, um, but it's a one page letter where you're introducing yourself to the agent or the editor, because you have the ability to usually to query edit agents and agents are people who represent you and take you to publishers. And some publishers, you can actually quer query editors within the publisher company. Um, so it depends. 
This sounds very similar to what PR agents have to do when they're trying to pitch stories. Like in some cases, they're pitching the magazine, and in other cases, they're pitching the specific writer. So it sounds really similar to that process. Yes. So some publishers will only take you if you have an agent. They don't, and others will, they have their editors that will help go through the pile. When somebody finds something they're interested in, like I know first you send out your query letter and I start, I started with agents. Um, I ended up an editor was the person who took me on, but I started with agents. And in that process, I think seven times agents responded to my query letter, letter and said, we love you. This sounds really fun. Love your personality. And normally they'll ask you for a sample anywhere from between five to 20 pages of your book. And they'll read those and they'll say, send me more um, if they're interested in you. So then they'll say, send me the first five chapters. So you send them the first five chapters and they'll say, send me the whole manuscript. And so seven times, I think I had agents say, send me the whole manuscript I'm interested in, in your book, which is pretty amazing, really, because it's like a one in 6,000 chance. And seven times I had the agent at the very end say, I really like you. I really like your sense of humor, but I'm going to pass. And so that's part of the query process too, is you get your hopes up and you're like, this is my agent. I found my person. And then, you know, you get your, your dreams crushed. Um, Did they share with you openly or candidly why they were rejecting you in the very end? Mm -hmm. Yes. Wow. So you still got value. Yes. So it is really a value. And I know there was one woman who um, actually is very interested in my, an agent who's really interested in my work. And who has contacted me since and said, hey, I still love your work. That book wasn't for me, but I want your other stuff. Um, so sometime, and um, that is actually, you're supposed to really make sure you get back if an agent contacts you and says that and says, I'm passing on this book. It wasn't my thing, but I'm really, really want your next book. So um, I know this particular agent said to me at the very, she loved my sense of humor. She loved Miranda. She loved the romance. Um, and she said, the thing is, I just don't know how to market it. I can't figure out immediately when my um, editor, when the editor who, you know, looked at my stuff from Wild Rose knew immediately that I needed marketed. I had marketed myself wrong. I was marketing myself for that book as a romance. And it ended up being um, marketed as a fantasy romance and a new, a new adult and new adult is a, um, fiction that specifically is being marketed for girls from 20 to 30. And it's a new genre um, because this group of this age of girls is really loves to read. They're really into reading and they have particular tastes. They don't quite, it's not, it's not young adult. They want a little bit of steam and a little bit of grit and it's not um, women's. <laughs> um, so it took a it took a while to figure out what your niche was going to be is essentially yes. what you're saying yes it, yeah. yes i mean mm -hmm. i find that so difficult in the world of podcasting even you only have so many topics you can select from and none of them necessarily fits perfectly but you have to find the one that's going to work for you and then work to market to that select group it's ever-changing and i imagine your audience is much broader than that 20 to 30 year old girl <laughs> So, yeah. I mean, I read it. I enjoy it. <laughs> I'm definitely not 30. 
And what I have to say to all authors out there, what I know to be true, and this is really the onus of why we started the Media Casters Publishing House with Nikki and Karina, that we know those struggles. We know the struggles of pouring your whole heart and soul into something, especially in fiction. And maybe Nikki can explain. She explained it so much, the difference between a fiction writer and a nonfiction writer, but, and then met to just defeat and knows negativity. There are ways around it. And KDP, the online Amazon publishing company, it makes it possible, but you got to do it right. If you don't do it right, it just falls into the graveyard of all those poorly edited, poorly written books in KDP. Well, what did I say to you, Nikki, when I read your book? I, I mean, I, I am a voracious fiction reader, and I just want to share this with the world. Every single book I have read, I have found grammatical errors, spelling errors, misusage of words, um, weird typos that don't make sense. Often it's just that the wrong version of a word is used or something like that. I did not find a single one of those in this particular book. And I found that shocking <laughs> because again, I, I'm so used to running into these things. Like even when my friend um, Cassie Alexander was publishing her books and I was reading an early copy, I would say, oh, well, do you want the error still? Because I found this on page 83. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't run into a single one of those. So your prowess as editing is incredible. Nice work. Thank you. And I, I want to tell um, all the listeners, I have two really crazy hyper Shetland sheepdogs that bark and talk all the time. I'm in the basement. So trying to keep them from um, being in the recording. We love dogs. I'm afraid dogs. they're in the background. <laughs> My one dog is freaking out right now. He is running around. Barking like <laughs> who, who make a special appearances in your books as well. And I mean, Karina yes. and I, I mean, I don't think Karina's, ch Karina's children are a lot better behaved than my children, but they make little cameos with their screams or come running behind us, but that's life. You don't want to know what they do. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think that it's about the mess and it's a, it's opening that the, the gateway, the lens to things, things aren't always perfect, especially when you're trying to break into the publishing industry, writing your book or starting podcasts or getting on stages or getting into film broadcasting. People don't like perfect. I'm just saying Karina likes perfect for me, but that's it. I really enjoy yeah, a perfectly edited book. I will yeah, tell you, you Karina, for that. I can tell you that. Um, so a perfectly edited book. Yes, she I, does. I read but the Karina's book and edited and edited. And then my, I have Claudia, my, I actually have two phenomenal editors at Wild Rose because I do cross genres. Um, they also assigned me another editor who edits my stuff. That's a little bit steamier and spicier. Um, Elf. She's amazing too. So I, I know though, when Claudia and I were editing it, we went back and forth and back and forth. And then at the very end, she said, okay, you know, we're almost done. This is our last galley. And a galley is your, when you're finally done with your editing and you go back in and you're just combing your manuscript for any mistakes. And I panicked and I was like, oh no, I'm not ready because I felt like I had grown so much as a writer because I studied my craft so hard. <laughs> so I, uh, 
I panicked and I said to, to my editor, Claudia, oh no, I'm finding so many things that I don't like. And she was so patient with me because we were so close to the end. And so she let me go back in and fix a whole bunch of things, you know, because I was like, I think, I think I did too much, you know, telling instead of showing here. Um, so thank you for that, Karina. That's huge. And I will let um, Claudia, my editor, know that. <laughs> And well, with each book, you'll continue to improve, right? You'll tell yes. more stories and yes. you'll continue to grow. And if you don't, then then why are you doing it? You know, <laughs> Yeah, I, I've read a lot of Stephen King, who you mentioned earlier, and mm -hmm. I've read some of his earlier works and then more recent. You see his style change and how he tells the story has changed and grown. The same with a lot of very prolific authors. You have to expect that, right? Yes. And that's what I, I tell, you know, I'm, I'm watching, you know, working really hard to uh, my craft. And I've had this amazing opportunity to work with these phenomenal editors and to work with, with you and Jules. And so, yeah, I'm hoping that every day my craft is growing and I'm really investing too in my, you know, um, I, I mentioned early that um, I am a teacher. I teach creative writing and, uh, so I've also really, really working on all of those things too, like my ability to work with other people. I think I'd really like to start coaching people who want to write. Oh, you can start with me. Yeah. And I, I love <laughs> to have people work through creative blocks. Me too. Like that's just a, a huge um, thing that I, I, I love to work with people. And I'm also a dancer and a choreographer. So I'm fascinated by creativity. Also and getting a people. belly dancer, guys. Yes. Right. I can't <laughs> yes. wait for steamy Cairo nights. When can yes. we really talk and about that? And I have an, a nights. book coming out. It is an erotic novella about <gasps> a belly dancer. Who what goes the heck? To, Erotica? Who goes to Cairo and falls in love. And it's part of the Wild Rose Passport to Pleasure series, which is all, um, it's releasing in August. We are having a super fun release um we have five the five, first five books in the series are releasing in august so we're going to travel wild rose is going to take people all over the world we're going to travel the south pacific scotland london um cairo with these really fun erotic novels well i was trying to do my belly dancing well i don't know if you saw that <laughs> well yeah the cover's amazing at least the draft i saw of steamy cairo nights and thank you i can't wait to read it I have been asked if I am on the cover of Steamy Cairo Nights. It is not me on the cover, but I have an amazing cover designer, Diana Carlisle. She's so wonderful. And I actually sent her pictures. I did not want to have, I really wanted to bust stereotypes and I didn't want people, I didn't want them to put like uh, a fake belly dancer in a Halloween genie costume on the cover of my book. Like I really wanted an oriental rock sharky dancer, which is, um, you know, really uh, the art form. So my cover designer was awesome because I even sent her videos of belly dancers. I'm like, these are what real belly dancers look like. Not the stereotypical genie Halloween costume belly dancers. And I sent her videos and I sent her pictures and she just caught it. Like, That's amazing. And I said, this is what their stage shows are like. And my cover designer just nailed it. Well, Nikki Pascarella, we have to ask you to do something yes. before you leave. But you have to belly dance while you do yeah, it. Yeah, belly dance while you do it. <laughs> so we ask you to say two words, and that is kick it. Kick it. <laughs> that was probably the funniest intonation I've heard yet. Let's do it one more time. Kick it. Come on, Nikki Pascarella. You got it. And, you, and then do your laugh after. My favorite laugh. Kick it. Kick it. <laughs> I don't know, Julie. <laughs>
Thanks for listening to another episode of The Media Casters. You can keep this conversation going and kick it with Karina and Jules in live office hours each week. Visit themediacasters.mn.co to sign up. And don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe whenever you listen. Let's kick it. Oh,